We will turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Titus chapter 2. It's been said that in the United States of America, the most segregated time and place is Sunday morning in the church. There is division by race, uh, but uh, in some ways that was natural. Even under slavery, black Americans found that by having their own church services, they could have a freedom of their own, a place of their own control. Uh, back in the days of slavery, uh, blacks that were allowed to come to white churches, you, you sit up in the balcony or sit in the back and uh, stay out of our vision, stay out of our way. So, uh, but in our nation of freedom, we have freedom to associate with whatever you want to. So there's not just divisions by race, but of all sorts. And uh, different divisions arise. Some are natural and right, like language. If you can't speak a language, why would you be in a church service that you couldn't understand what's going on? So for immigrants, we have various churches come about. The Chin Baptist Church in Omaha of uh, Burmese immigrants. The, there's Hmong Ministries in Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, people from Vietnam. Uh, you go down Dodge City, you can see a Primera Iglesia Batista Ebenezer, First Baptist Church Ebenezer, uh, for those speaking Spanish. Uh, so there's the divisions that the freedom to meet together by language. <coughs> but because we have freedom, other things come about. One is uh, economics. Uh, back in the day, one of the first uh, mega churches in America, we're talking decades ago, was the First Baptist Church of Hammond. Indiana, and it was once one of the largest churches in the nation of 10,000 plus. There were so many people you'd think, wow, that must be a really diverse church. <clears throat> but somebody took the time to look it over and they found out, wow, it's not really that diverse. It's got a lot of blue-collar uh, union factory workers as the vast majority of the people who attended the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. Uh, my, my first church in Southern Illinois, similar to this church, many of the people, many of the members were farmers and others who owned their own businesses, uh, ordered their own lives uh, in that way. Uh, the other Baptist church in that tiny town, in contrast, had many coal miners, union workers, as it were. We find ourselves in a Maybe a new age where uh, churches line up by generations. By generations. I think that's rather a new creation of our modern times, but I also know the Scripture says there's nothing new under the sun. So uh, it probably happened before at one time or another. But when I was a small boy in the 60s, they coined the phrase, the generation gap. And uh, when I was a teenager in the late 70s, I visited a church... <clears throat> that uh, when I walked in, they were nearly all 20 to 40-year-olds. You couldn't see a gray-headed person in the lot. Just all 20 to 40-year-olds getting together uh, in their own way. The division came over a generation, maybe over music, but it was very much generational. The older generations had all the money, were well-paid, had the attitude of, this is my church, this is how we do things. Change is not allowed. So in the city, in the city, new churches sprang up of younger generations, and that left many churches to be old and dying 
uh, with only gray-haired folks around. Paul writes to Titus about a healthy church, <coughs> not composed of a select, narrow group of individuals, but a healthy church made up of all ages. A healthy church made up of believers uh, who demonstrate character qualities that show that Christ is working in their lives by the Holy Spirit. Here in Titus chapter 2 and verse 1, it starts this way. <clears throat> you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the... Oh, that's the first verse I'm supposed to stop there. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. A healthy church is grounded in sound teaching. It's not a word, it's really not a word for doctrine, but more the generic word for teaching, which I think is better in this case because I take the word doctrine to refer to teachings about the nature of God and about salvation, but teaching covers much more. Teaching covers behavior, lifestyle, morality, those kind of things. Some churches have developed a tradition, again, in the, uh, just just how it happens. Some churches have developed a tradition of emphasizing doctrine. you got the correct beliefs. Uh, that uh, you believe the right things, but they're lots about behavior. They hold firmly to the truth of one God and three persons, the Trinity, that you're saved by grace, that salvation is by faith, they're about the proper worship, the proper rituals to follow. But they too often turn a blind eye to pastors and members who are sexually immoral or drunk or greedy or nasty in behavior and talk. <clears throat> and sometimes, in contrast, some churches have a tradition of emphasizing the right behavior, but neglect doctrine. And many members think they're okay because they give a tenth, There's, they, are, they don't drink, they attend worship, they help at the homeless shelter. They give at the food pantry, and they do a lot of good things, but they don't believe that Jesus was God come in the flesh. They do not believe in the miraculous or do not believe in heaven and hell or angels and demons. A healthy church is grounded in sound teaching. Both doctrine, what the Bible says about God and salvation, and what it says about morality and behavior. It goes on in verse 2. Teach the older man to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. It brings out a contrast between older and younger in these verses that we're going to look at today. And uh, it, there's, I don't think there's much use in trying to pick an age where this division is. And maybe it is helpful to look at it this way, that the older... Uh, refers to people who've already raised their families and their children are adults and the younger are those who still have children in the whole in the home. The older people may think they're done with their responsibilities. But Paul writes they still have an obligation to the younger generation. And these are the traits all Christians ought to exhibit, even though applied to the older bunch. So they're to be temperate. Temperate, it's the word for sober. Sometimes it is translated as sober-minded. Sober-minded. And the truth is you cannot be sober-minded if your mind is clouded with alcohol or drugs. So it means sober. Temperate. It says to be worthy of respect. Worthy of respect, older men. Are you worthy of respect? In, the, in our world, 
People get respected for a lot of different reasons. They might be respected for their wealth, or their power, or their accomplishments in sports or entertainment, or whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, there's only one reason to have respect. And there's only one kind of respect that is worth having, and that's being respected for being a good person of integrity in your life and how you live. Older men, be temperate, sober, be worthy of respect, be self-controlled. This gets repeated again and again throughout the different generations. I assume that means this is kind of important, to be a person who's self-controlled. It's mentioned in every, almost every category of old men, old women, young men, young women. What does it mean to be self-controlled? To have it rain. To have the reins on anger. Doesn't go flying very fast. I've got it rained. To have a rain on your mouth. Not lacking out physically or verbally at others. To be self-controlled. So be sound in faith. Again, talking about having a sound doctrine. A good, healthy church is one with all generations and with sound doctrine and sound teaching about morals. So to be sound in faith about doctrine, salvation, holding to the truth. And if you're an old man and the older generations, presumably you've been a believer for years and years. And you ought to know what you believe. You, ought to, you cannot lead and you cannot teach the next generation if you're not mature yourself. And uh, know the Word, the Bible, and are able to share it with others. You ought to know what you believe. To be sound <coughs> in faith and sound in love. For all the things, you know... Uh, if you talk about older men, probably the first word that might come up, adjective to come up would be what? Maybe grumpy, you know? Grumpy old man. But uh, how about to uh, have older men that the first adjective, adjective that comes up was, that guy's got a lot of love in his heart for people. To be found in love. There's no greater sign of a Christian life than being known for loving others. To be found in love. Jesus said by this, all people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. To be sound in endurance. I guess if you're an older man, you've endured a lot in your life. But to be sound in endurance, to be, but not just how many years, but what you've gone through. To be sound in endurance means being strong and living for Jesus Christ no matter what the changes are in your circumstances around you. And they will change. Well, they'll change health-wise, they'll change financially, they'll change relationship-wise, what people do, what people say, what happens to you. The changes will be there over the years. There'll be good and bad changes. And some people hit the changes, and it's like they hit a wall. Ah, I'm done. I can't take any more. But he calls for older men to be strong, sound, in endurance. Get up again. Keep after it. Don't give up. Verse 3, it goes on to say, Likewise, <clears throat> likewise teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live and to not, be, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. 
Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the Word of God. It talks about the older women. It says, first of all, don't be slanders. Be, be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders. That's the, in Greek, that's the word devil. In Hebrew, it's Satan. Don't be a slanderer of others. You don't have malicious talking about other people. Again, it mentions being sober again, not addicted to much wine. But then it brings up something new to teach what is good, to train, to teach and to train. It brings out a strong role of passing on truth and faith and right behavior to the next generation. When I was in my late teens and the late 70s going to a church with nothing but 20 to 40 year olds, it's kind of neat to see so much youth and kind of neat to hear music like I like to hear. But i got to stop and think how much teaching and training the next generation took place. Or did they just skip that step? We're skipping you and going on. Don't want to be taught what is good and what is right. What kind of view do you have as of the next generation? You tend to view somebody not in your generation as, oh, they're just way so different. Or they're not as good as my generation. It's, it's getting worse all the time. They're not good like my generation was. You have a hopeless view of the next generation? Or do you view the next generation as prized by God and it's your responsibility to encourage, to teach, and to train? When I was in college, every now and then I'd be back home for the weekend and I'd go with my dad to church and they didn't have enough people around for a college class, so... I'd go to Sunday school and I'd get in with the old men and their class. And I, I kid you not, every single, I don't remember who the guy was, couldn't tell you his name, but every single Sunday during Sunday school, this one old guy would say, kids these days. Kids, man, they'd say, ah, oh, what's going on? It's terrible, it's hopeless. They're all going down to twos. What's to be done about it? And he'd say it, I mean, every single Sunday. Was he doing anything to teach or train the next generation? Apparently not. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 10 says, Do not say, Why were the old days better than these? Because it's not from wisdom that you ask such questions. They might be different. They might not be like you like it. You're not young anymore. Uh, you might have a lot of fond memories of back in the day, but it's saying that's not a wise way to look. What's the wise way to look? What the Bible says. Life is life. People have a sin problem. There's a sinful world under control of the evil one. And it, then it might change shapes, but it's still the same as it was in 1950, as it was in 1900, as it was in 1800. People need the Lord. They need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. They need to be taught and trained up to live for Christ. That needs to happen. 
from the gospel of God. Teach and train them. Again, it brings up the word. Uh, older women teach the younger women to be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. Put a bridle on your tongue, not slanders. James 1, verse 26 says, Anyone who considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself. And his religion is worthless. That's pretty strong language. That's pretty strong language. Be self-controlled. Anyone who considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Be self-controlled. To be pure. To be chaste. Holding God's standards of marriage. To be busy at home. This is a good thing for anybody. Be a person who works and works hard. As Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Not, not, work, not as working for men, but as working for the Lord. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11 says, We hear that some of you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. Be busy. Be busy, not busy bodies. And it says to be subject to your husbands. To live a married life, not like it's some kind of competition. Not as it's some kind of continual conflict. I'm sure you can probably get people to say, yeah, marriage has just been one big conflict from the start. But that's not the way it's to be. Not as a competition, not as a conflict, not as a trial to be endured, but as an opportunity to glorify God together. To work together. What's the most important thing in working together? To bring up the next generation in faith. To teach them, to train them. It's wonderful. Uh, that's, that's one of the things we get into. We get so busy in our own realm and thinking it's somebody else's responsibility. Oh, it's the school's responsibility to teach my kids about reading, writing, math, and science. That's the church's responsibility. The pastor, the Sunday school teachers teach my kids about the Bible, about faith, about following the Lord. I tell you, as parents, it's your responsibility in the home to teach, to train. Oh, I don't have time. I'm so busy. Yeah, life's busy. That keeps you from being a busy body. To teach and to train the next generation. Sound teaching of good character and behavior. Of faith in God. And the whole reason it says this is kind of interesting. We might think that Paul would write Titus and say, the old men should do this, the, the old women should do that, the younger women, the younger men should do this, so that uh, they have better lives and things go smoother for them, and it's just wonderful and hunky-dory and sweet life here on out. That's not what he says. The reason he gives here at the end of this <clears throat> was so that no one would malign the Word of God. So that no one would malign the Word of God. It's <clears throat> the word blaspheme, similar to slander. Live a holy life, do these things, so that there's, there's no opportunity for the Word to sit there and talk down 
your faith and malign the Word of God. Your good behavior <clears throat> by itself will not likely bring anyone to a saving faith in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> you need to make it known. You need to say the Word. You need to speak the Gospel to others. You need to believe. You need to be saved. Your good behavior by itself will not likely bring anyone to a saving faith in Christ Jesus. But I'm going to tell you what. Your bad behavior all by itself can keep people away from the church. Your bad behavior just by itself can keep people away from the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> when I was in college, worked summers at uh, Western Auto in the parts department. And there was one summer uh, I was working there and they had a retired guy coming in making some extra money. And he came in and worked in the store too, doing cleaning and stocking and different types of things. And uh, the guy, the guy couldn't talk without swearing. I mean, he draw, he couldn't say a sentence without swearing. And he, it was just constant all the time. And while on, uh, at home during the summer too, I took that as an opportunity to go around to some different churches and. <clears throat> I went to one church and uh, been there before and liked it. And as I was at this church one Sunday, I don't know if it was a Sunday night or a weekday night, uh, I was, they had the worship service and it was over. And there was this guy, this old guy from Western Auto. And he came up to me and says, Praise the Lord! Hallelujah, brother! It's good to see you here today! Oh, wonderful! Praise the Lord! And I'm like, really? Really? Next day, I saw, next time I saw him at work, he was a little subdued. But the second time I saw him at work, he was back to his old cell. Couldn't talk without swearing up a storm. And, uh, I'm sure that church had many fine, good, believing Christians, but I've, I've never been back to it since. Uh, your bad behavior all by itself can keep people away from the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason these things come out, it says this is so that no one will malign the Word of God. Blaspheme the Word of God. It goes on verse 6. Similarly, Encourage the young men to be self-controlled. <clears throat> there it is again. In everything, set them example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Brings out self-control again. James 1, verse 19 and 20 says everyone should be quick to listen. That takes self-control. To be quick to listen. Slow to speak. That takes self-control. To be slow to anger. That takes self-control. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. <clears throat> Proverbs 25, verse 28 says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. 
about the worst thing we could imagine would be our nation invaded and conquered by another entity. But it says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Might as well be a slave. Proverbs 17, verse 27 says, A man of knowledge <coughs> uses words with restraint. Self-control. And a man of understanding is even-tempered. Self-control. That's why self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's working in you. Yes, love, joy, peace, patience, wonderful. But also self-control. Proverbs 16, verse 32 says, Better a patient man than a warrior. Guys, I know if you're like me, you got a warrior's heart, man. You'd like to go out and smash and conquer somehow. But better is a patient man than a warrior. A man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. And then there's my daddy's favorite verse. We were talking about this in Sunday school. Call it his life verse. Life verse. Proverbs 15, verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. My dad said, that's, that's, my, that's my life verse. That's my favorite verse. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. He said, I just can't get anybody to give me a soft answer. So, think about it a little bit there. Again, the reason is given for a righteous life. Paul doesn't write and say, do all these things. Older men, older women, younger women, younger men, do all these things so that you just have a sweet, smooth, wonderful, exciting, uh, powerful, over-the-top life that uh, you say, oh, look at me, what a wonderful thing. No, he says it's all about one thing so that the unbelieving world has nothing bad to say about us. Has nothing bad to say about us. That's talking about a witness. Your good behavior may never lead anybody to Christ. You need to speak the words and share the gospel. But your bad behavior all by itself can drive them away. To live right <clears throat> so that an unbelieving world has nothing bad And finally, in verse 9, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Time of slavery during the Roman Empire and the New Testament times is estimated that one out of three people was a slave uh, to somebody. And uh, in our modern age, we can look at it as you're working for somebody else. And uh, they like to, I think somebody came up with the term about being a, uh, a wage slave, you know, that you're a slave to somebody paying you their wages or whatever. Are you working for somebody else? It calls you to be hardworking, to be trustworthy, and it brings out the importance of the mouth again. Don't talk back to them. Don't sass them. 
Don't, don't get all angry. And I'm sure a slave would have had a lot of reasons to be angry with their master and to want to sass him and to want to talk back to him. And if you've worked for somebody, you might get to that place too. Don't talk back. It says don't steal. And it's not the normal Greek word for steal, but it, 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 it's a, a longer English word would be pilfer. It's the idea of quietly, stealthily keeping something for yourself. It's used in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, who were part of the early church, who stole the plot of land that they owned, and they gave the money to the church that laid it at the apostles' feet. But what? They said, this, we're giving everything we got for selling this land, but they actually pilfered. They, kept, they stealthily, quietly kept part of it for themselves. And they lied to the Holy Spirit. It's wrong to think no one sees. God sees. It's wrong to thank you it can ever get away with anything. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight, but everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Again, what's the reason? What's the reason to behave this way as a slave, as a worker, to live with this kind of character, to have such a lifestyle that is good and right, that doesn't talk back, doesn't get angry, strike out in anger, doesn't pilfer, doesn't steal for yourself. The reason is given again so that an unbelieving world will see the difference. Will see the difference. It describes it this time so that the teaching of about God our Savior would be attractive. Would be attractive. That's the Greek word for attractive is where we get the word cosmetics. Cosmetics today. You know, putting, making it shine and look good. And that the, church, the word, the teaching about God and our Savior would be attractive. So it's something they say, I can't help but admit that it looks good. It looks good. You should believe in sound doctrine. That's great. You should believe in sound teaching of the Bible and live it out. Yes, even better. Do you love enough to consciously desire to teach and train a new generation? I'm going to do what I can, whether in home, taking a couple of minutes every day to sit down and read the Bible with them, to pray with them, to talk about it. Whether it's making sure the children and grandchildren, I'm going to make sure they get there to church Sunday morning and, and uh, maybe Wednesday night and so that they can hear the Scripture. That's excellent. You have a self-controlled life. That's so badly needed. Is your life one that's worthy of respect? Not because of what you have or what you've accomplished, but because of who you are. Who you are. Does the world see and cannot help but admit it? It's a witness to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, verse 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with all people and to be holy. Live right. Without holiness, no one will see 
the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You, Lord. You've called us to a holy calling and to a life, a righteous life, through faith in Jesus Christ. Help us to walk before You, to walk by faith and not by sight. To walk in step with the Holy Spirit. To do the things that are pleasing to You. <clears throat> and Lord, most of all, to love people of all generations and desire to reach the next generations with the good news of Jesus Christ. To reach the next generations to teach them and train them to be mature, solid Christians who can stand up under life's trials. Father, we thank You for Your goodness to us. Help us to shine Your goodness to others. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.